Sylvester and Peck on Sports is brought to you by Advanced Care Physical Therapy with five locations, including Harbor Center and the Dent Tower. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Sylvester and Peck on Sports podcast. I'm Paul Peck with Kevin Sylvester from buffalosportspage.com. We're here at least once a week, Kevin, to kind of touch on what's going on in Buffalo sports and uh, give our opinions and thoughts on the big issues that people are discussing. A little quiet this week, so we've got a little more of a uh, potpourri of topics to touch on we're in a little bit of that lull here now uh you know not a lot going on with the sabers bills made the draft things are kind of quiet there not good show paul all right what? No. <laughs> said yeah, but that, that doesn't mean there's you know well, like, you have the bandits playing for the championship that's a big deal to a lot of people in this town are no it is no listen there actually is um i think some decent things going on uh number one you have the sabers without a coach and without any urgency to hire a coach right Okay. Okay. We'll talk about that. And, and, we'll, we'll, no, you had the Bandits in the championship. Bandits in the championship. Right? We'll talk a little bit about John okay. Beeline's move John from Michigan Beeline, to, to right? the Cavs and a rather significant retirement in the NFL this week that has Buffalo connections to it, and that would be EJ Manuel. So some thoughts on that, but let's start with the Sabres. You, you brought it up. Let's go there. Still no coach. Um, you know, trickling of rumors here and there um boy it sure sounds like and and i heard elliot friedman the other day sort of emphasize this that ralph Kruger might be the guy sure you know he was well thought of uh, when he was hired in edmonton i, I recall when he was uh, and, and it was a short short-term deal i, I remember i think I, I was surprised when he got fired i think a lot of people were in edmonton and i believe even craig mctavish like after the fact was kind of like you know i don't i don't know um, if we gelled right, didn't it? Didn't it was it was played this way? He's not a bad coach. It just uh, might have been a bad fit with management mm-hmm. um, in Edmonton. So, I, listen, he's he, an experienced guy. He's a veteran guy. I love the fact that he he spent the last couple of years running, not as a coach, but running a, an English Premier Soccer League team. Which fascinating, means, right? yeah, really fascinating. And and uh, you know he's been around the sport a long time. He brings the experience that I think everybody seems to understand that the Sabers want. Um, in a lot of ways, he brings a little bit of that. You know, I, I hey, I, I'm. I'm guessing here but a little bit of that father figure that maybe the guys in this locker room could use at such a young team and I'll throw something else out here that that uh uh and, and he he's my he's sort of my hockey guru and I get his perspective on my daughter's boyfriend on full credit to my buddy Liam McFall here he said he thought the Kruger hiring could really be something where we hire him meaning the Sabres, and he knows and we know that if some big guy comes along and comes available within the next couple of years that we would really, really want, Kruger would more than happily step away or step up to a uh, hockey operations president kind of a role. And I, I think there's some sense that that fits into that. Maybe he's not a long-term. Maybe he's a year or two guy, and then you see where your team is at and you see that maybe there is someone else available on the market. Well, all this is the hot coaching candidate is probably staying in Toronto. Sheldon, Sheldon Keith, Keith, you're talking right? about. Yes. Yeah, it sure sounds that I way. I mean, like Buffalo's a downgrade. <laughs> well, and, and the relationship with Babcock and their general manager seems tenuous enough that Sheldon Keith would go, I might want to wait and see how this shakes out because sure. I'm likely going to get that job once the Babcock experiment blows up. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, uh, perhaps fair. Uh, I'm that, happy. Listen, 
Let me just say this about this, the, the Sabres coach. What's going to be interesting to me is how um, it, it's perceived and played out in the media with the star player and the new coach. Because if you're the star player, like, yeah, another new coach. What you know, like, I'm going to go do my thing because I've run through coaches here two years and two years, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, Which the, is why the father figure thing I thought was worth mentioning, that maybe that's a different relationship with Eichel. Well, every coach needs to be a father figure. Good fathers, um, you know, at least from um, – I'll look at my father and I'll look at other fathers and give you a kick in the ass when you yes, need sir. one and a pat in the back when you need Agreed. deserve one, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe, I don't know if every coach has done that. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. Um, but I, I think if that if the possibility is there that Kruger could be a little bit of a different influence on Eichel and some of the younger players, then that might be his bigger value regardless of his power play and his, and his zone entry plans. I'm more interested on what they're doing with Skinner if if they can get him back than anything else right now. All right, we'll go on that. Talk follow up on that. Well, what, you know, what, what are, we, what are you thinking? Obviously is well, he I, waiting to see what I, I I frankly think he's waiting more for the market and the free agency to open than he is who the coach is going to be. My my experience um tells me that he won't be here because he's going to the free agent market. I'll be let me just, I'll be surprised if he signs with Buffalo. Pleasantly surprised for because he's fun to watch. He's a goal scorer. He's my son's favorite player now, so he'll be thrilled. But I, I'd be surprised because most players, most players that go to free agency do not return. Most, right, Paul, most on, right. on the top end, and the like. Steve Stamkos is about the only one that I can recall in recent memory that went to free agency, dabbled. And went back to Tampa. Yeah. Because everybody thought he's going to Toronto, right? Um, but listen, last year when John Tavares went to free agency, nobody thought he was going back to the Islanders. No. They had hoped, but they knew he wasn't coming back. Yeah. If guys are going to go back and the teams want him back, it gets done well before and, that. And, and, and this is why, Paul, because we know what the numbers are for Skinner. The comps are out there. Stone's contract in Vegas. Uh, it's out there. He, the similar players, similar production. I, Stone, I think, is a better all-around player, by the I way. I think so, too. Um, but you, th- those numbers are similar. So you know it's around eight and a half, eight and a half million, maybe maybe nine, maybe, maybe, maybe. I would say eight to eight and a half seems eight years, right. Eight 76, nine and a half million a year for Mark Stone. I know. So like That's looking, too much for Skinner for me. I, I agree. And, and here's my point is, is if Skinner walks – Saber fans will be annoyed, angry, pissed off. Just they should of, be. And, well, but 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 I think there are some reasons to not be because do you really want to pay Jeff Skinner $9.5 million a year? I don't think he's worth it. I know you need the goal-scoring part. That's gr- That's vital. I get that. But there's a right price for everybody. And if he isn't willing to take what the Sabres think is the right price for him, then let somebody else go and overpay for him and figure out a way to make that replacement. What you've said is accurate about too much for him. However, again, I'm going to go on my experience here with this. Getting players to sign in Buffalo is tough. You gotta Getting overpay. free agent, you have to overpay for him. C, two marginal, okay players, one being a terrible fit, Billy Leno. The other one was an okay player, 
but they overpaid for him because that's who they can get, Erhoff. Okay, the same year. Way overpaid for two players because they needed to get some players in and wanted to make a splash in the first uh, free agent uh, year of new ownership. Um, Ryan O'Reilly, which turns out is a pretty good player, right? right Pretty good player. Um, But they paid him a lot of money, um, and he's worth it. He he was Sabres' best all-around player. Didn't fit for various reasons, and well, really one reason, um, and it got traded. So, but there's a guy who was willing to sign, but at the time paid him a lot of money. You're going to have to overpay Skinner. But my point is this: if they're willing to do it, they would have done it already, and he would have yeah. signed it already. Yeah, that's my point. He knows the numbers; they know the numbers. When you're, you're talking about a couple hundred thousand in between, even a half million, you can find the common ground in those things. I don't think they have. I'm not confident he's coming back. I'm not. I love to be wrong. I love people to tweet, oh, you were wrong. Blah, blah, blah. Fine. I'd be happy to be wrong. So but you're, I just, so you're I just, saying that my his, be history worth overpaying to, to because you need him and because it looks good for the fan base and, but and I'm also you can saying, build around him a yeah, little bit, right? I'm also saying it would have been done already, in my opinion. If you're if you're if you were willing to spend the money on him in Buffalo, and if he was willing to stay here for the money, I think it would be done already. Yeah, I'm uh, concerned that it's not. Let me ask you this: with news now that Pilot is out six months with shoulder surgery, Bogosian out six months. Now your defense core going into the season is awfully decimated. Which now you now you, there, there's a question about how you, what kind of start you can get off to the, on the season based on your defense that's already a disaster anyway. So is is some thinking, do you think, on Jason Bottrell's part that instead of overspending for Skinner, I need to take that money and overspend on some defensemen? He needs to do both. He needs to do both. Okay. They need, they, You know, I mean, he might be thinking, oh, I can have Olofsson play with Eichel and score goals, and I can spend that money on defense. But, again, teams don't let great defensemen get away, Right. Uh, you have to trade for decent ones. They traded for Montour, a decent one. They drafted one who they hope is going to be a great one, and all signs point towards him being a great yes. one in Darlene last year. Uh, Pilot showed promise, which this is that's a big blow to me. Yeah, he would have been one of your, what, top four? Four, sure. Um, that's a big blow to me that he won't be there. The Bogosian one, he, he's been hurt his entire career yeah. with Buffalo. Um, so I, I, they need to fix the defense. Um, they're looking at trade a defenseman to fix things in Aristolina. At least that's all, all the talk there. Can you do that now, though? No, I don't think Not you can. Now, frankly, can't. no, I don't think you can. Um, so yeah, th- th- unless this, you're getting somebody equal back, just a different kind of player, because you think Risto's got to go somewhere else. The cra- the crazy thing here is this team is, you know, I want to. You want to look forward to uh, hope for next year. Well, they've got a lot. Bottrell's got a lot of work to do. Uh, for hope for next year, yeah, and I a don't lot think of work. The hiring of Ralph Kruger isn't necessarily going to get. Well, that's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. Up, that does, right? It doesn't matter yeah. as much at this juncture. It does not matter as much as it does what the roster is going to be and Skinner. Now, again, I just want to say they could get Skinner done. History tells me they're in trouble on this one. Yeah. All right. Uh, another coaching topic that's on the, the 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 minds of Buffalo sports fans this week was was a guy that you know is one of our own that that you know I think every Buffalo basketball fan uh, follows John Beeline because of his connections from 
up in Niagara County, Newfane and Burton, and coached at Canisius and ECC, and just and now his son is up at Niagara. There's a the the beeline connection to Western New York is huge. Um, he makes an interesting move. I wasn't surprised by this. I think some people were an interesting move to step away from the University of Michigan and go to the Cleveland Cavaliers and sort of one last move on the incredible resume for Beeline. He gets to prove himself. He you know started as a uh, you know, a JV basketball coach, and now he's going to be an NBA head coach with the Cavaliers. I, I He has dabbled with the NBA over the last couple of years. It was not a shock to me. But again, I think that's who he is. He says, you know what? I, I want to see how, how I'm 66 years old. Let me see how I can do this. And I think the thing that helps him, Kevin, is the NBA has gotten a lot closer to the kind of offenses that Beeline has been successful running at West Virginia and Michigan, which is really a three-point shooter-based offense. Isn't that what the NBA is now? Well, yes. It's the dunk and the three-point shot. Yes. So so I think there's a lot of it makes a lot of sense at this time for him to give it a shot. And and you know, and I, you know, will he be successful? The NBA is such an a, a, a different animal. Um, you know, so many coaches have less control that, you know, Beeline ran that program at Michigan and was able to recruit well. Um the NBA is different. You you better get superstars, and no matter how good a coach you are, if you don't, you're never going to win. I, I think it's surprise only because the timing of it. That, you know, we're so far past the college season, and all that movement usually happens after the college basketball season, and that doesn't happen this late uh, in that season, not in the NBA season. I mean, it's the offseason in the NBA. Uh, well, it's been actually for a couple months for the Cavaliers, but true. Um, or just a month. But, it's been it's been a while for the Cavaliers, um, so I think that's what the surprise was. It's actually it's an unbelievable story, right? Um, it's it's even better than Jeff Van Gundy's story, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. right. I mean, just think of the career, just think of the career path that he has taken from from JV at Newfane High School to ECC to I think there was a year at Nazareth at D three, then Division two at Lemoyne, then to right. Canisius, then Canisius to Richmond, Richmond to West Virginia, West Virginia to Michigan. Um, you, you know, I think I think in a lot of ways, and I, I this is just a guess on my part. A little frustrated at Michigan. He's had really good teams there, and he finds all these really good players, and then they up and leave pretty quickly. Just lost the uh, the the Brzezikas, the really good big guy that he had yeah. this year. Uh, and I wonder if the the turmoil and the ensuing tide of college basketball recruiting scandals maybe weighed on him a little bit. You know, I mean, he's beelines considered not by me, but by people in the college basketball game to be maybe the cleanest and most above board college basketball doesn't cheat, doesn't cut corners, doesn't do anything, just wins and wins the recruiting and wins games on his effort and his knowledge. And maybe he got a little frustrated by saying, wait a minute, I'm the only guy. Am I the only one being honest here? How, uh, how can I compete with everybody else cheating around me? I wonder if there was a little bit of, okay, my time is done here. I just think he's probably looking at it for several years. He knew he had teams that had a chance at Michigan and probably stayed for that chance. And now it's like, okay, what's the final frontier for him? It's the NBA. Yeah. And it's so. probably at his age is the time you better do it now or you're not going to do it. At 66, sure. you're either coaching at Michigan for another couple of years and retiring or you're kind of taking the swing at it here. So he, Hopefully he got enough seats in his contract. Because there's gonna be plenty of yeah. friends and family from Buffalo. They're gonna be That's hitting true. them up for seats. Yes, it's not. It's be. not a long drive to Cleveland. Yes, at yeah. the newly renamed Rocket Loan Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. It's no longer the Quicken Loans Arena there. Well, the Quicken Loans 
owns Rocket Mortgage. Okay, That's well, why. but still, the signs will be the, will be different. So that'll be interesting, and obviously gives some Buffalo fans an NBA connection to cheer on there a little bit. So the third, uh, the final topic on our little uh, potpourri of sports notes of the week, I thought was an interesting retirement this week for a name that emits lots of reaction and emotion for Bills fans. And we did a previous podcast where we really dove into EJ Manuel's failings here in Buffalo. Not all his fault. Um, you know, a lot of it were circumstances played earlier than he really should have and needed to. But I think the one thing that I've seen a couple of things come out this week on, in light of the retirement um, is just how overdrafted EJ Manuel was. Mm. Um, I was told years ago that one team in the NFC had a sixth round grade on EJ Manuel. You know, when you hear that, you're like, (laughs) oh my God. And then uh, a great follow on social media is Jim Nagy, who's the executive director of the Senior Bowl, but had been a scout with the Chiefs and with the Seahawks throughout his NFL career. And he tweeted earlier in the week two really jolting tidbits. One was a and uh, was that when he was with the Chiefs, they had a they saw EJ Manuel as no better than a number three quarterback in the NFL, and that he said there was another NFL general manager who told him that the only thing he saw EJ Manuel as was a tight end in the NFL, and that just hits you in the gut to realize how much the Bills had gotten themselves into a pickle of having no choice but to draft a quarterback in the one year that has been maybe the worst year ever because if you look at the list of drafted quarterbacks that year it's I think it's it's a disaster it a matter of fact Bills actually have one of the other quarterbacks drafted that year on their roster and that's Matt Barkley mm. wow now listen it, it, it was <laughs> who was that was that Buddy Nix well, it was the last draft for Buddy Nix before Doug Whaley took over, and I got the sense that that was Whaley driving that draft. He was the one that was talking about going and visiting all the teams and all the quarterbacks and doing the in-person scouting and dinners with all those guys. So I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of people there would like to blame Buddy Nix for that pick, but that's to me, sense like that was the Doug Whaley, Russ Brandon pick that year, Not and because Buddy was on his way out. Okay. Buddy's too smart a football guy. Too. I was going to say, Buddy's had plenty of good draft picks when he's a Buddy scout. Buddy knows what yeah. a football player is. I'm pretty sure he might he might have said that guy is not an NFL quarterback. <laughs> I've, You know what? Um, I just it, – it's just disturbing. Well, not only disturbing, but it just confirms how bad of a GM Doug Whaley was. Um, and with Russ's hands in it too, because he was a GM at one time. Yes, he remember, was. Even though they erased it from the media guide, uh, right? Yeah, it, they took that out of yeah. there. I'm not lying they about that. They didn't have that, a right? GM for a couple of years. It was basically him. So. Yeah, uh, it's just how bad that yeah. was. How terrible it was. Hey, um, everybody's rooting for EJ to be good. He wasn't. The guy made a- enough money not being good. Uh, so be it. Somebody Bills fans are rooting for Paul. Just as we started recording this. Um, all Bills fans are rooting for a big Bills fan. He has passed away. All reports are he's passed away. Pancho Bia. Uh, that's that's Rick Castro. Yeah. yeah, that's that's yeah. sad. I, I, I know over the last couple of days that that he was no longer he was in hospice, right? yeah. which is never a great sign. He was unresponsive and and uh it, it, it's sad. You know, he had become uh, literally and figuratively with the mask a face of the Bills mafia and Bills fans and and the Bills embraced him with the draft and and his ability and he made the pick. He was able they called him before they picked Ed yeah. Oliver 
whatever. Great relationship between the franchise and one of the fans, and, and certainly our condolences um, go out to to his family. The one last thing I want to leave you on with EJ Manuel was the point that I made. This is classic mistake by an NFL team, by whomever the GMs were. Was and and this is when you talk about best player available and don't draft for need. There's your example of it. The Bills had they they were backed into a corner of not having a good quarterback. They they had no choice but to have to take one that year. Everybody knew it. They knew it. Somewhere along the line, somebody had to say, "Hey, this is a horrid year for quarterbacks. Let's not do it." But they had no choice. They had to do it. So what? So it's this is why smart teams don't get themselves backed into into situations well, like which this. Which goes to my point, saying how terrible they were managing the team. Correct. They were, it was awful yeah, to have so, to choose that guy. It was awful. Yeah, if you really want to dive in a little more on EJ Manuel, um, go find our previous Sylvester and yeah. Peck on Sports Podcast, where we, where we really kind of, and it's been one of our most popular ones that we've done, because I, I think we did a really nice job of, of analyzing it. Like I said, in a lot of ways, it wasn't all EJ's fault. He was never really given a chance to be very successful here. Maybe Maybe he would have been. Who knows? Maybe not. But um, again, just uh, probably up there with Aaron Maben and Eric <laughs> Flowers amongst the all-time Mike Williams. Uh, Mike Williams amongst the all-time worst Bills draft picks over the last twenty-five or thirty years. That's that's why oh. that's why I know everybody's excited about this year's group. But you have to keep your eyes open going into it, knowing that maybe one or two of these guys become good players, and you hope Ed Oliver will be one of them. But there are no guarantees. James Hardy. James Hardy there you go again they had to get a big wide receiver probably passed on six smaller superstars in order to get a big one right you can't get yourself that locked in so um so there you go a couple of bunch of topics we'll keep our eyes on the Sabres situation that's going to come to a head um whether the coach thing or does or or not I don't know frankly it doesn't really matter if you don't have a coach till somewhere towards the end of June anyway um well you you have many well no you've got uh doesn't matter for the draft prospects camp but coaches usually aren't on the ice yeah, for that either. Yeah, the assistants so, yeah. usually do that. So the development They'll have somebody before the draft. Yeah, I'm they sure they it. will. Yeah, so. So, so we'll keep an eye on that. We'll see how that all shakes out. And, uh, and again, as the Bills work their way through OTAs here, we'll get a little feel for what's going on with them. Um, we'll keep you up to date right here on the Sylvester Peck on Sports Podcast. <laughs>